Engage is a call to action, a challenge to make a difference, an imperative to serve, a directive to be the church, advancing the kingdom and transforming our city. And now the host of Engage, Gene Hildebrand. Hi, this is Gene Hildebrand, the host of your show today, and I want to take a moment and just thank you for tuning in. I understand that you've got a lot of things going on. You're a busy person, as most of us are, and I appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to uh, listen to our program. Uh, as always, we understand that uh, your time is valuable, and we want to make sure and give you a good return on your investment. And so we bring to you individuals and uh, nonprofit organizations, ministries, churches uh, in the community that are doing some pretty exciting and amazing kinds of things, sometimes even awe-inspiring. And certainly the individual that we have with us in the studio today is one of those individuals. In fact, you know, you might might remember along with me uh, years ago when uh, elected officials in a community were normally considered the city fathers. Uh, you know, I, I think we've gotten to a point now, unfortunately, where we really can't think of our elected officials as our city fathers anymore. In a spiritual sense, however, I think that there are fathers of the city who operate with divinely appointed authority for the building of the kingdom. And I certainly believe that my guest today is one of those individuals. I have with me Pastor Steve Branson of Village Parkway Baptist Church. Thank you for being here, Steve. It's good to be with you, Gene. Absolutely. You got so much going on. I mean, it's just amazing. And, uh, you know, we, we've been talking uh, even before we've uh, started the recording today. And uh, just so much to talk about. Uh, let's begin close to home uh, and talk about the hurricane, of course, and the devastation and, and how that's personally affected you. I know you grew up in that area. And so it's uh, near and dear to your heart what has happened uh, in the Baytown and Beaumont area of, uh, of the coast. Well, the night when the storm came back, went back in the Gulf and re-entered back into southeast Texas, I was on uh, text, phone calls with my brother the entire night because they were trapped in the midst of all of that. Your brother has a church in that area, does he not? He opened the church up about nine o'clock at night because the homes began flooding so fast in there, and people needed a place to go. Only problem was, before the evening was over with, his church had four or five foot of water running through it. In fact, when my brother made one of the runs up to the church from his house, which was about a mile and a half, two miles, coming back, uh, he couldn't find the roads anymore. The water was so deep. Wow. He ended up driving off in a ditch, and so he lost his vehicle. And um, he lost quite a bit of possessions and all that. His house was one of the few that did not flood, but most everybody in that entire area lost everything. And I was down just a couple of weeks ago and was stunned at the devastation through southeast Texas. From Baytown all the way to Lake Charles, the floodwaters were just unbelievable. An 80-year-old lady told me one day, she's a preacher, there was nowhere to run. There literally was nowhere to run. When mm-hmm. they were climbing up on their cabinets, they were looking. They were, right. They were, when they, few who still had cell or internet they would text people come get us we're we're trapped and so if someone were rescued my brother said the day after the storm finally left that the sky was filled with uh, helicopters from the military rescuing people all over there he said it was the strangest thing 
he had ever seen. Like so, martial law had been. It, it was interesting. <laughs> it just said he just sat outside watching all these copters coming and going, and mm. they were pulling people off housetops and everything else. So by the time I got down, it was about a week later before I could even get in to see him because right. the roads were underwater. Right. And uh, but they people lost just about everything. They, there was no food available. I brought loaves of bread. I threw a bunch of them in the back of my truck just so you'd have bread to eat. Uh-huh. And um, they, we, they, there was just a lot of stuff they've lost. And so their grocery store was wiped out. They couldn't get anywhere out. Every road was closed. Um, so there wasn't hardly any. And there was very few people who, who died, but they lost much of everything they owned. And you actually uh, were saying that you, you went through a few hurricanes yourself uh, back when you were a child. I grew up with those. Those, right. those are just something you learn to live with and everything else. Mm-hmm. And my brother said this one, take the worst one he and I had ever been through and magnify it by 100. And it, Man. he was stunned by it. And wow. that last night, you had really the perfect storm. Uh-huh. You had It had been raining in Texas for two or three days, solid. So all the rivers, the, the, the Sabine, the Natchez, the Trinity, the Brazos, the Colorado were already flooded. Mm-hmm. And the storm went back into the Gulf, and then when it turned and came back up, it brought in a tidal surge from the Gulf with all the floodwaters coming down on those rivers. And they were all within 100 miles of each other on the southeast Texas, so you had the bottling up of water. And then a, some areas picked up 20, and some picked up 30 inches of rain that last night. Mm. And so it, it, just the, it was a perfect storm, and it's caused havoc. It's going to be a long recovery. And, and I don't think there's really any way we can even begin to understand the devastation and the suffering and the uh, the loss uh, unless we're there and actually see it. I mean, there's no way to really uh, even imagine that. And thank God we were we were spared here in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. But uh, this relief effort and recovery uh, of our own coastline is, is going to take years, yeah. isn't it? It's been interesting to watch the people who've really stepped up, or all the little churches all over the area. Are, mm-hmm. There are people out helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The Cajun Navy is doing amazing work. I don't even know who they are. I don't even know if they're even a formal organization. But when I was down there, they fed everybody at my brother's church. One thousand one hundred people were fed I, lunch by them. At I that don't know. One I think that's where I'd want to go to eat, man. Well, listen, it was best jump. <laughs> hey, they served jambalaya. It was the best jambalaya. <laughs> there you go. Eaten. That's what I'm talking about. Now. The Red Cross, I will say, is miserable. They are terrible at what they do, mm. and they really have messed this up badly. I wouldn't give a penny to them. I understand Samaritan's Purse was they're, on the on the front lines. They're so. doing a good job, and uh, um, my own denomination, Baptists, have a, a disaster mm-hmm. team, and they've been down there right. doing some really good work. Really, a lot of the organizations like that that aren't as famous as Red Cross are the ones who are in there making everything happen. Well, let's talk about uh, Cuba, because uh, you've made several trips to Cuba since it kind of opened up and uh, uh, have been working with churches and ministries there in Cuba, and of course, Cuba got hit. Uh, pretty hard as Cuba well. Cuba got hit just as hard as everybody else mm-hmm. did. There's a lot of devastation. I showed you pictures a right. minute ago that just came out of there from friends of mine who went in. Uh, they're going to be in for real trouble, and their problem is there's a shortage of food always there. Mm-hmm. And the average Cuban lives on $30 a month, and that would be like trying to live in San Antonio on $30 a month. Right. And is it's that rough and that difficult. Um, I've had a blast going in. Uh, I gave the... Uh, president of seminary some money one time and he told me later the equivalent i gave him was like five years of of uh, salary wow and i told him i said spend it on your family da, da, da. and to me it was not much money but right. to him it was an unbelievable amount of money so the people they they struggle uh in in, in fact uh, their their spiritual life is stunning they leave us behind mm-hmm. i mean they they're, they their walk with christ is some of the greatest i've ever seen in my life 
uh, I was preaching in Pinar del Rio at Calvario Bautista, and I was getting to a point in my sermon. I told my translator, when I get to this point, I'm going to quote Philippians 2, 3 through 11, and I'm going to do it all at once. I'm not going to break it in pieces because I want you to do it in Spanish all at once. I want them to get to hear the whole thing in context. And so I got to that point, and I quoted. I said, I'm going to do it now, and I turned back to 700 people in a 300-seat auditorium, and I, I quote the passage. And he said in Spanish, repeat with me, Philippians 2, 3 through 11, and the entire congregation spontaneously on the moment repeated back to me that passage without the their Bible. The entire Bibles. passage, not the just en- one of the scriptures. The entire church <laughs> did that. I was stunned. Wow. I mean, and I asked later, dumb American question, what's your scripture? Yeah. What's your scripture memory program that you're doing? And right. they, they didn't even know what I was talking about. Right. They just said, Pastor, you got to know something. Having a Bible was illegal for many years. Uh-huh. So the only way you could use it is to memorize it. And they still, they're very strong when it comes to that. So Man. there's a great faith among the people there, among the believers, but they live a very difficult life. Wow. You know, uh, that just speaks volumes to me. I mean, I could, we could speak, talk for hours, I suppose, on any one of the points that that you've just touched on, but not least among them certainly is is the the power of a persecuted church. Yeah. Well, you let, know? Me, let me give you a quick story. Uh, the president of the seminary, and I'm not going to use his name on the radio, right. uh, and he's a young man. He, he, I'm helping him get a Ph.D. from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so he was in se- at the seminary. Of course, if you make $30 a month, you have no money to live on when you're in Fort Worth for three weeks. So my church provides him living expense. So I was taking the cash up, and I told him, I'll, I'll treat you anywhere to dinner you want tonight in Dallas-Fort Worth. I don't care what it costs. I'll take you there. You want seafood, Mexican food, American food, Italian, whatever. And when I said steaks, he jumped all over steaks because <laughs> the beef in Cuba is terrible. Let's do that one. <laughs> yeah. So we went out for dinner. And so we're sitting there, and he had known that this has been a year and a half ago. Uh, I had met with Donald Trump in New York City. I'd been given that privilege, and so he was. He asked me a question about it. So we're sitting in a restaurant, and I'm telling him about the meeting and all that took place. And then I was asking him things about Castro, and then we, after that, left all that stuff, and then we moved on to baseball and all kinds of just men's stuff, having mm-hmm. a fun night. Mm-hmm. I took him back to the seminary, let him off, and he said, "Thank you for the evening. I'm so glad you had a good time." And he said, "No, I'm not thanking you for a good time." He said, "When we were in the restaurant and we were talking, and I asked you about Trump." And you started responding. I got scared. He said, you know, I got unbelievably scared. Mm. And he said, I almost had to get up and leave. That's why I said, I didn't notice it. I said, what were you scared of? He says, I kept waiting for somebody to, to arrest us. Mm. And then said, it dawned on me, sitting there in the restaurant. I'm in America. I'm free. I'm free. He said, I've never tasted freedom till tonight. Mm. He said, I don't think you guys know what you got. It's I think amazing, he's right. It's an amazing feeling. Yeah. So the church doesn't have that freedom. So when I'm in Havana at the seminary and he and I are talking, if I even get anything that gets a little bit too close to anything he doesn't want, he changes the subject because there are spies in his seminary right. who will right. report them. if they, As long as they do church work, they've got freedom. Mm-hmm. But if they do anything else, it's not good. So yeah. a lot of stuff's changed there, but it's still Cuba. Man, Steve, I, I really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing there in Cuba, and I know you're going back in January and and uh, doing some work with some of the seminaries and so forth that are in that area, and we appreciate that very much. I know another thing that is really near and dear to your heart is life choices, and I certainly want to talk about uh, where life choices is and, and the plans for the future as far as they're concerned. It's pretty exciting 
uh, that Life Choices is now a full-service women's health facility. And uh, I think that's very, very significant uh, because one of the one of the arguments of the pro-choice movement is that we are providing health services. And if we're not here to do that, then where are women going to go? Well, the fact is there is an alternative and life choices is one of those alternatives that women can choose. Amen. Amen. And it's it's been a I've been with it 20 years now. We started 20 years ago. I'm. I've been the chairman of the board for the last seven, eight years, I guess. And it's been an amazing thing to watch that unfold. We were just a mom-and-pop pregnancy center, uh, handing out a few diapers, saving a, a few babies, and doing a little counseling. And it was just a little shop. But about 10 years ago, um, Focus on the Family contacted us and said we were sitting in a very unique location, that, um, almost like the abortion alley, where more abortions were taking place just about anywhere and they wanted to talk with us about becoming a medical center. We had, we had not even really thought about it, but it sparked an interest in us. And so if we'd have known what we were getting into at the time, it would have been more than we could have even handled. We probably wouldn't have done it. That's the case with so many things. But they began, They paid for the initial thing to begin to do the paperwork. Just the paperwork alone took a couple years. And as we were making that transition, out of the clear came one of the local Knights of Columbus, Mm-hmm. And we're a Protestant pregnancy center. Right. But the Knights of Columbus contacted us and gave us a sonogram machine. The getting in the sonogram machine dramatically changed mm-hmm. the impact we were having. And we went from saving four, five, six, eight babies a year to saving 500 babies a year through wow. that. But the more we got to thinking about it, we wanted to do more than that because of the very arguments you hear from Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So we have been in the process for the last several years of moving towards being a a full-fledged medical center. And it's been a long, difficult uh, steps to get there because it takes a lot of money to make that happen, to have the top-notch professionals uh, to be able to pay their salaries and everything else. Sure. But we've gotten tied in with um, uh, Heidi Center out of Austin, and we've worked with uh, TPCN, uh, Texas Pregnancy Network, that that gets funding from the state of Texas to help people who are doing pro-life kind of work. And so in the last year or two, we have moved forward now that we have full-time staff there, and we're, we're, we're taking care of the poorest women of San Antonio, offering them free health care. And uh, we get reimbursed through the state and through Medicare, but it costs the people who come in absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And we continue, though, to save three to 500 babies a year. Uh, we're doing counseling. We're doing education uh, we're doing fatherhood initiative. We've come to realize that the big battle has to do with dads and um, the fathers of these babies. And so we started a program, and that is having some very good initial things are happening. And what it's done is opened the door uh, across the nation for us to, to do even more. But I think one of the most amazing things is one of our local hospitals who has given a lot of money to Planned Parenthood, and I'll just leave it at that, uh-huh. but they, uh, they decided they wanted to see something different happen than what they were doing. And so they contacted us, and after initial conversations, they now fund us with six figures. Praise the and Lord. And so they're doing that. So I, everywhere I speak, whether it's national or local, and get a chance to talk about this, I've, I say we, we've, only, we've got two goals. We're going to close Planned Parenthood by taking all their patients. Mm-hmm. Well, we're seeing 5,000 women a year now. Mm-hmm. I think we're about 4,500 this year. 
but we expect to be five to 6,000 next year with the rates that we've seen just recently, mm-hmm. and we're going to take all their money. Mm-hmm. And we're beginning to see that shift take place. I think that so is— So it's an initial phase, but yeah. we're truly trying to do that. Yeah. But Life Choices is an amazing place. I've got the most amazing staff, Charity Farrar and Donna Smith lead that ministry, and the Lord has blessed that. The ladies who work there— Many of them, several of them have had abortions. They Mm -hmm. understand what's involved in that, Mm -hmm. and they have a heart for ministering to these young girls that come in. Amen. We do all, a lot of, I won't say all, that's too much. We do a lot of the sexual disease testing and treatment now in the city. We're cheaper than Metropolitan Health. Mm -hmm. And um, we now have, uh, even the immigrants who are here, even the illegal immigrants, when the, the federal government wants to provide them some care, we're now on the list as a place where they will send them instead of Planned Parenthood. Man, that's great. So we're just seeing a lot of different things that we never in our wildest imagination ever thought about, but it's now happening. You know, I think the strategy for uh, putting an end to abortions is exactly what you have uh, outlined, and that is to dry up the money. I mean, if the money is not there, Planned Parenthood will go. Well, we don't advertise, and we're seeing 5,000 women a year, mm-hmm. but what we do is we love these these young ladies, mm-hmm. we give them, we help them get whatever they need. We walk them through it. And hopefully there's some word of mouth that it, it's, goes That's on, literally you know, what's happening. Referral. It's total word of mouth. They right. call each other. They tell each other where to go, and they, mm-hmm. they're showing up at our places. We're a non-judgmental place, so yeah. it doesn't matter what's happened or what you've done. We will accept you. We're, we just want to get you back on your so feet. So they sense the caring, the love, the they're compassion, gonna, the they're concern. Gonna hear about, they're going to hear about Jesus. They're going to get loved, and they're going to get medical care. Amen. And it's, it's working, and it's... It's you know, Paul says that he does abundantly beyond anything you ask or think. Yes, this is a story of him doing abundantly beyond anything we ever thought mm-hmm. about. So mm-hmm. it's it's an amazing story, and it's just unfolding. And mm-hmm. we're now getting national recognition. With that, will come a lot of trouble too, because we're already starting to get some of the protesters against us. Well, you're used to trouble. Uh, we've been through. <laughs> yeah, I've been my name muddied a few times, so it's no big deal. I think the LGBT community is, uh, has named you as the most dangerous pastor in the, in the United States, right? The Southern Poverty Law Center said that. They wrote an article about me one day. The Southern Poverty Law Center. Yeah, and one of their major articles uh, did that. And it had just happened that I was speaking in San Angelo to policemen, and I did a pastoral message to policemen that had nothing to do with, with sex anything like that. It was on how a cop should be a cop out in the public from a biblical viewpoint. And then a Southern Poverty Law Center reporter was there, and he destroyed me in an article. But that's all right. I'll I'll wear that badge with no trouble. Amen. Amen. Well, Steve, you've done so much for our community and beyond our community and even impacting the world. And uh, I'm so appreciative of uh, your ministry and uh, the the gifts that God has placed in you and your commitment and love for uh, the kingdom. And thank you so much for being my guest today. I oh, appreciate it's an it honor. very thank much. Thank you. Appreciate Th- it. You bet. And uh, I want to thank you, our listeners again for taking the time to tune in. I know that you've been blessed uh, by uh, some of the stories that Steve has shared. I just want to also uh, remember to uh, give appreciation to my strategic partners who really helped make all of this possible, among them Joshua Initiative, uh, Champions Media, The King Movement, Abba Father Christian Store and Jesus Lives in My City, as well as uh, uh, KSLR Radio. Thank you so much, and I hope that you'll uh, tune in again soon. This is Gene Hildebrand, Engage. Engage.